You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. We're in a series uh, called Quieting a Noisy Soul and really inspired from a book that, or a workbook that Jim Berg put together um, of, that I have found to be very valuable. Um, and, you know, not because he wrote it, but because his truth is from God's word. And I want to make sure that I clarify that as much as I can. There's, you know, I do believe there is value in doing a, a study on a topic uh, in, in preaching. And uh, we normally go through a, a book or sequentially. We go through passages, expositional preaching. Uh, but this topic is one that the Lord has just kind of put on my heart. And I felt, felt like I couldn't get away from it. And uh, really the, the issue that we'll, we're getting to um, is the topic of anxiety, the topic of worry and fear and distress. You know, those things that really get to us uh, in life. And you look around in our culture and there's a lot of worry. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of fear. There's, there's a lot of distress. There, there's a lot of people that, that don't seem to have a, a grip or a handle on these thought processes. And that really is what it is. It begins as a thought process. And Romans chapter 1 is, is where we've been. <coughs> and uh, looking through uh, this text here, uh, Romans chapter 1, I'll begin reading in verse 18. We'll just read a few verses here and then use it kind of launch forth here. Verse 18 it says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So as we go through, just understand that, that this passage is saying that men have the understanding or the capability to understand and know the Lord through creation and their conscience. It's possible. And so for men to say they're agnostic is an unbiblical way, place to stand because the Bible says that the knowledge of God is clear through creation, through the conscience, and also obviously now through God's word, the canon. And so they have these evidences and they, they hold the truth, but they refuse not to buy into it. Uh, verse 19, because that which may be known of God, it's possible to know it, is manifest in them for God has showed it unto them for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, that's creation, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. So the process, and we've looked at it already, the process is over here you've got knowledge of God. You've got truth that is knowable to mankind. But over here you've got a man who refuses to believe it. And because he refuses to believe it, now there's a gap between the two. And that gap, it begins the downward spiral. That gap is where you find this issue of unbelief. And we can trace so many of our root of our symptoms to the root of unbelief. That's, that's the premise 
that Jim Berg is, is, is presenting, and it's, I believe it's very biblical. Well, we've looked at reasons why, and we'll continue to do so. But the phrase that really stood out to me, and by the way, this message in many ways is part two of last week. So we started it last week, and I'm kind of finishing it this week. So if it seems like I'm jumping in in the middle, it's because I kind of am. And so, but the phrase that I want to use as, as, as something to really guide us tonight is found there in verse 21. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. What are the next three words there? Neither were thankful. Neither were thankful. And you, you think about this list, the things that, that these men and, and women, this, these sinners, that they find themselves falling into. I mean, wicked, wicked sins. Uh, and we could deal with those. We're not going to tonight. I think you understand them. We've dealt with them already before. But these are just some of the most wicked things you can think of. And you have to go back at Baron verse 21 and realize that between the gap of what you know of God and what you, you refuse to accept of God is unbelief. But right there in the middle of unbelief is this, this spirit of unthankfulness. That you're not thankful for what you have. It's amazing that these people rejecting God's truth that leads them down such a terrible path are said to be unthankful. It means, it means what you think, by the way, too. It means that you're not thankful for what you have or what is available. It means that you aren't content with what is present. That you want something different than what you have. And isn't that amazing to think that you have the ability to know the God of heaven. He reveals himself through creation. He reveals himself to your conscience. He reveals himself through the canon of scripture. All of this truth is available. And you refuse though to accept it. And you're actually unthankful for the kind of God that he is. I mean the God that created the heavens and the earth. And you, you want something different than that. And that's the, the concept that kind of leads then uh, today to what I'd like to deal with. And that is this idea of discontentment. And we heard a great message from Brother Jeremy Jacob a few weeks ago on this. And so obviously because it's being dealt with again, that I think that God wants us to hear this. Uh, there, there must be a tendency for us to be discontent. And I think that's probably accurate. And not just in our church, I mean, as a, as a culture, we have a tendency to be discontent with what we have, and that shows up in unthankfulness. Um, and so, just as a review, um, I'd like to give you this illustration that I showed last week, and hopefully it's a little bigger this week. I made it a little bit bigger. These are my um, editing skills in PowerPoint, okay? So, pretty impressive, I know. Okay, yes. No applause. Well, that's fine. I didn't expect it. So... Um, unbelief is the great disorder of the heart and it is accurately named a disorder because rather than accept what is true about God we elevate what we want to believe above that and now things are out of order so the great disorder of the heart is unbelief it's the gap between what we can know about God and what we choose to accept and it leads for, for this purpose of our study it leads to discontentment there, it becomes this lust for more, 
And that is the basis of every temptation of the heart. And he goes on, which we'll deal with these later uh, individually. We're stopping kind of tonight there at discontentment in, the ter in terms of the diagram. And you say, well, I'm not really sure that I understand that connection. You know, that there's unbelief and, and that leads to discontentment. Except that we just saw it in Romans 1. They weren't thankful. And then last week, we looked at two examples. One was in Numbers chapter 20, and it was the example of Moses and the children of Israel. And they were murmuring about not having water, which seems to be what they did all the time. And that word murmur, that's what it is. Murmur, 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 murmur. It's a word that comes up based on the sound that people make when they're murmuring. Murmur, murmur, murmur. So they're murmuring that they don't have water. And God comes to Moses and he says, okay, Moses, I want you to go to this rock and I want you to speak to the rock and water will come out. And, and yet because Moses was angry at the people, rather than speak to the rock, he went up to it and he did what to it? He struck it. The Bible says he struck it twice, just twice for good measure, apparently. He goes up and he hits it twice. Water comes out. I mean, it works. And yet God comes to him and Aaron both in verse 12 of Numbers 20 and says, you will not go to the promised land. You're not going to take the people in. And it's because you got angry. No, it's not what he says. He says, it's, it, he, he doesn't say it's because you struck the rock. No, that's not the reason. You know what he tells Moses and Aaron? He says, it's because of your unbelief. Your unbelief. There's a, there was something in Moses that caused him to have unbelief. And I, we don't know exactly what it was, except that maybe he didn't feel like God was providing in the way God should be providing. Or I don't want to speculate, but there was a measure of unbelief, and that led to his anger. So his anger was just a symptom of unbelief in his life. We could go to Mark chapter 4 and see uh, the other example we looked at was the, the disciples out on the boat in the Sea of Galilee. And a great storm rose up and they were, they were afraid and they went to Jesus sleeping on the boat. And they said, don't you care, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And, and after he got up and calmed the sea with three words, he said, peace be still. He turned to them and he said, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? You see, Jesus was the one making the connection. He didn't, he didn't deal with their fear. He dealt with their lack of, un, of belief. They, were, they had unbelief, and that caused them to have fear. And so we see then that unbelief leads to all of these things in our lives that, that, we, that become issues, and we try to deal with the issues rather than going back to the root of unbelief, which is why we spent many Wednesday nights talking about your knowledge of God is the key to you overcoming these things in your life. It's, it's not a 12-step process and it, you know, this and that. I'm not taking away from all of those things. You can have those things, though, in your life. And if all you ever do is deal with the symptoms and you don't go to the root of unbelief, that there's a disconnection between truth and what you've accepted, then, then you can go through the programs all you want. But unless those two things come together, the unbelief will keep you where you are. That's the idea. And here's what it comes down to, this lie of unbelief. Is that God is, God is not doing enough for me. God himself is not enough for me. I need something more. God's not doing enough for me. God himself is not enough for me. I need something more. And that is a lie that binds many of God's people. Is that we would never say that. But we operate that way. 
God's not doing enough for me. God himself is not enough for me. And I need something more. And we cannot accept that lie. Because I'm telling you today, God is more than enough. You know, you think about what Job was able to say in his own testimony. We said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. You know what Job was saying? Is I could lose everything, but if I have God, I have enough. That's what he said. So this idea that God's not doing enough for me and that he's not enough for me and I need something more, it's a lie and it reveals that we don't know God well enough. Because if we know God well enough, then we will know that he's capable of handling those things in our lives. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God will always meet my genuine needs, always. I will always have what I need in my heavenly father. And no matter how hard or how annoying or how inconvenient the situation, no matter how many turns you take and there's a house on a, on a truck going down the road again. Okay, that's what I thought of. I was getting annoyed. But you know what annoyance is? Annoyance, on a small level, annoyance is saying, God's not enough for me. Now, if God puts you in a situation that's not, it's not easy, we have to accept that a sovereign God knew that you would be in that situation and asked something for you to learn in that situation. My God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I have to trust that truth and I have to accept truths like that to help me get through the hard, difficult times. You must accept that a loving, wise, caring, sufficient God gave you what you have and what you need. And if you have unbelief up there, if this is a baseball diamond and you have unbelief up there in center field, it begins to lead to discontentment, which is what we're focusing on tonight. And last week I ended with an illustration, an example of, of Josiah wanting his dream car. So Josiah, remind me of the car that you told me last week. A Mazda RX-8. Okay? Well, well Josiah, just, as, just because he's really helping me with my, uh, my example, of my illustration of discontentment, he came to me on Sunday and he said, you know what, that's not really the car I want. I've got a different one now. <laughs> it's like, thank you, Lord. For this perfect example. Okay, what's the car? What's, what is it this week? A Nissan 180SX. What do you think it's going to be next week? No, so, no, you see, the illustration is perfect. And, and I'm, not, I'm not calling Josiah out tonight. I'm saying that is the, that's the tendency of our hearts. See, let's, there's a Nissan, whatever he said, pulling up. Let's say his neighbor gets one. And, and Josiah's out skateboarding. Because that's what he does. And this car drives by and he, and he stops and looks at it. And he notices that his neighbor driving the car has a big smile on his face. So in Josiah's mind, he thinks, you know, there's a connection between that car and my happiness. I've got to have it. So he starts saving up his money. And, and you know, and like young people do, he tends to spend his money on things that he shouldn't. So it's taking a long time and these things come up that, that he's got to spend his money on. So he starts to get grumpy because he doesn't have that car that's supposed to have a connection to his happiness. And he starts believing as long as he doesn't have it, then he can't be as fulfilled as he wants to be. And he starts believing. Now, he wouldn't say this out loud, but in his heart he thinks... Um, you know, God is not doing enough for me. God's not enough for me. I need something more. And that fantasy world is what Bible calls here in vain imaginations. 
It's a lie that, that convinces us we've got to have something different than the God that we have. We need something more. And, and so Josiah starts to get angry that he doesn't have this car yet. And he's discontent at what he's missing. And, and he's anxious because he wonders if he'll ever get it. And he's in despair because he thinks there's no hope. There's noise in his life. And it all starts with, with this unbelief that God is not enough and that car will do for me something that God cannot do for me and it becomes discontentment in his life. And discontentment is rooted in the thought that we don't have what we need. In Romans 1, they weren't thankful. Something in their mind caused them to think that the God who created the heaven and the earth is not enough for them. And that whining and that ingratitude of a discontent heart, it's a familiar sound in, in our lives. We, we tend to be discontent people. You know, I had a flashback. Um, recently, I, of course, our young people went to college days, and I'm thankful they got to go. Um, but young people have a tendency to be discontent. And, you know, uh, Numbers 21 tells the story uh, we could, if you want to talk about discontentment, right, Brother Jake, you go to Numbers. There's all kinds of stories. And number, Numbers 21 tells the story about the children of Israel, Israel murmuring against Moses and against God. And God sends these fiery serpents. And as an act of judgment on the people for their murmuring, these fiery serpents, they, uh, you know, they're biting and they're, they're killing people. And Moses has to lift up that... that, that uh, brass serpent the the emblem there just so people can look at and say okay that symbol I've got to look to that if I want to be saved if I want to escape the fiery serpents and so so these fiery serpents come along and I used to tell the teens that all the time when I was a youth pastor we go to college days I remember specifically and they were serving like I mean something at, I mean at a cafeteria it was food I would have liked you know, and it, would, it was like meat, not meatloaf. Okay, never mind. It was like roast beef or something. Okay, sounds really good. So I remember saying to one of the teen girls, oh, look, the menu today is roast beef. And the look on her face was, ah, roast beef. Mashed potatoes. A roll. Wah. You know, just something like that. And I was like, you know what? Fiery serpents. I hope a fiery serpent shows up right now. And chases you out of this cafeteria. Fiery serpents. I used to say it all the time. Because I wanted them to get to be reminded of the fact that they don't have it as bad as they think they do. As a matter of fact, I, I, somebody said, and I don't know where this came from. I doubt it's original, but it's a good thought. I doubt it's original because it's a good thought. Okay, so somebody said, when this generation, in a generation, when they're telling their kid, what are they going to tell their kids they had to do without? You think about this generation, there's not a lot they have to do without. I think about the generation before me and, and, bef and really two before me, the greatest generation. And what they had to do without. And I think, you know, we're raising a generation of young people that have a pretty comfortable life. There's not a lot they have to do without. And I think it's creating a discontent generation. And you can see it. And, and, and parents, you can see. I mean, I've dealt with young people. It happened in our youth group when we were in Oklahoma. You know, I, we went to, I went to lunch with the young people this week. And we, we pull up to Brother Samuel, took him to Taco Bell. 
And no amens about Taco Bell, that's fine. We're walking in, and guess what, guess what they were doing? They were complaining about Taco Bell. I hear, hear re- reports of the trip and, you know, what was being chosen for the group to eat. There's complaining going on. And, you know, it's not the end of the world. But I'm thinking, we better help them, or they're going to grow up and be a very entitled generation. Right. It's fast food. None of it's good for you. None of it really tastes good. But we, we need to help them get through that because the natural leaning in our hearts is to be discontent. Right. And to say, I need something more. And I don't want our, this group to have that kind of spirit. We don't need to be raising young people that think that way. And it's, we've got to help them with that. But discontentment comes out in so many ways. I, you know, it begins in our thoughts. We think, I don't have what I need. You know, there are certain thoughts that we have that point to discontentment. And I just want to deal with some of these tonight. We have this if only thought. And we have this I should be or I should have that thought. And we have this I I don't like thought. Those statements, when they show up in our lives, they are revealing discontentment. And it may not be a bad idea for us to start a list Anytime those kind of phrases come into our minds, when you have a thought like, oh, if only, you should write that down and remember it because it might be eye-opening because I think we start to sound very much like the children of Israel. If only we were back in Egypt. You know, if only we had the food we used to have. If only we could have stayed there. I, I don't like this manna. Taco Bell? I mean, I don't like not having enough water. I murmur, murmur, murmur. If only, if only my spouse would change. Young people aren't the only ones. If only my spouse would change as if, you know, they're really the issue. If only my spouse would try harder to accommodate, you know, my needs. Which I'm not sure where in our marriage handbook in in the bible that comes out like it's about me pretty sure it's not if only my boss would listen to me and see where i'm coming from or acknowledge me if only my parents would try to understand me more if only my parents would trust me more you know, if your thought processes are filled with these if-only statements, then you likely have an inordinate amount of discontentment. If only, if only. If only I had more freedom, young person. If only I had more money, all of us. If only I had more say. If only I had better health. If only I had less pain. If only I had fewer doctor bills. If only I had more answers why. If only I hadn't failed and messed up. If, if only I hadn't been abused. If only I hadn't made that one really bad choice. If only I hadn't grown up in that house with those parents. If only I had different siblings. If only I was married. If only I was single. If only I was married to somebody else. If only... I had finished college. If only I had children. I mean, you could go on and you could go on and on and on. And our lives can be plagued by these if-only statements. 
And we, we over and over, many of us get into this thought pattern of thinking, if only I had that, if only I had that, if only this was different. And what we are saying without saying is that God is not enough for me. And his gifts aren't good enough. If only things were different and you have abandoned the thought that a sovereign God who loves you and cares for you and takes care of your every need is the one allowing these things to come into your lives. You've just abandoned the thought that he does supply all your needs and he knows where you're at. Those things shouldn't have happened, many of those if onlys. But if you believe that God is powerful and forgiving and loving as we say, then to say that an if only has to happen for me to be content is the same as saying God is not enough. God doesn't have to change any of those things for you to be content. There are plenty of things you can't change, but if you believe God is enough, then nothing in your life has to change for you to actually be satisfied. And we might have regrets and we might have shame and we may look at our past and, and regret it all. And you may wish for a thousand do-overs, but even that kind of thinking will lead you to believe that your past is bigger than God's ability to forgive you and help you move forward. A lot of people are there. If only my past was different. You can't change your past, but you have a God who can forgive your past and help you move forward. Discontentment is also for this phrase, I should be, or I should have. You know, by now I should be richer. By now I should have a decent home. By now I, I should be married. By now I should be through with college. I, I should be finished paying off my college loans. By now I should be more successful at work. I, I should have a better, higher position. I, I should have a family that respects me. I, I should be the one teaching that class instead of just helping. Listen, if you allow yourself to live in that headspace, those thoughts will only convince you that God's not enough. You are saying, I don't have what I need. God isn't enough for me. I need something more. It's a lie. It's a vain imagination. I'm not saying don't be driven. I'm not saying don't strive for more. I'm not saying be you know, content and don't ever strive to be excellent in what you're doing. That's not it at all. But your, your motivation for aspiration, if, it, if your motivation is satisfaction and contentment instead of pleasing God, you'll, you'll never get there. It's okay to strive for more and it's okay to strive for excellence and it's okay to be better than what you are as long as your motivation is I want to please God because he deserves that kind of a servant. But if your motivation to be more is to make yourself happy and be content, you'll, it'll never happen because you can't, you can't possibly be content in something outside of God only. Discontent is also full of these I don't likes. I don't like Taco Bell. That's probably universal, but you know, I don't like it. I don't like what my mom makes for supper. Dads, step in. You know, it's, it's time for us to go back to the things that shaped our parents. And some of these mindsets aren't even necessarily Christian as much as they are just correct and respectful. But few things bother me more than when my kids have an attitude about what mom serves at supper. 
You know, and I know the old cliche is like, you know, you just name a country that's poor and it's like they'd love to have just one bite of what you get to eat and, you know, all those things. But it's true. You know, if, if, our, if we're allowing our kids at home to be like, I don't like this, then just get used to an entitled adult. And you're not going to help them when they get into a church and, and there's something at the church that they don't like. And which there's going to be stuff at every church that you don't just like, and that's fine. You have to, you know, maturity says, you know what, but this is where God wants us. And, for, and God forbid that I should be the one that causes discord in the church. Amen. So I'm just going to deal with it because, it, I mean, unless it's biblical or doctrinal, you know, we'll do things that way and that's fine. I'm, not, I'm here because God wants me to be here. Well, those are the kind of lessons that get learned around dinner tables. Because what mom makes and what mom honestly probably slaved over to, to get ready and, and yet she's got all these other things that she's trying to do at the same time. Be thankful, young people. Be thankful. And if you have had a, a, that kind of an attitude toward the things that your mother is doing to serve you or your dad is doing to serve you, then at the end of this service you need to go get them. You need to make it right because that spirit will consume you. A spirit of I don't like. And what you're saying, young person, is that God is not enough. Right. You wouldn't say that, but that's what you're saying. I don't like my circumstances. I don't like my house rules. I don't like my position. I don't like working with them. I don't, you know, God takes griping very personally because he's the one who's given us what we have. He took very seriously, and there in the wilderness, he took it very seriously when the children of Israel murmured because it was them saying, you're not enough, and you've made a mistake, and you're not going to be enough to help us through this. I don't like my job. I don't like my spouse. I don't like my standard of living. I don't like having to live on, depend on others for help, and I don't like the, this, my body won't let me work like I used to. I don't like having to work so hard when others have it easy, and I don't like having to overcome this in my past when some else didn't have have to overcome what I did no we're feeding the discontent we're saying God is not enough and I need something more and if you'll just notice then the box on second base up there you know these statements are dangerous because a lust for more is the basis for every temptation in the heart in this under discontentment a lust for more it's the basis for every temptation in the heart you know, because, because that, uh, that this lust for something you don't have. You know, it, it tempts us at every turn. If we get convinced that we need something more, talk about Satan capitalizing on, on, a, on a target, a candidate that's just doomed to trip. Because in their minds they think, I've got to have that. If I don't have that, I can't be content. In Romans 1, they weren't thankful. What weren't they thankful for? Well, they weren't thankful for the God they had. They wanted something different. I wrote down they wanted something more. How could you have a God more than the one we have? Did you know you can't be tempted with something you don't want? And Jim Berg uses this illustration. I couldn't do a better one. He says, you know, I've, been, I've driven down the road many times, and it's true for me too. And I, you know what? I've seen lots of roadkill in my life. But, you know, I've never once been tempted to stop, pick it up, take it home, 
throw it on the grill, and enjoy a nice roadkill barbecue. You know why? Because I don't want that. You, you can't be tempted by something you don't want. And so here's the point that he's making is that if you never allow yourself to get to the place where you want something so bad, you won't be tempted to chase after it. But it all goes back to what you believe. It goes back to your knowledge of God. You've got to go all the way back to that root before you ever get to the place where you're being tempted. It's like, and he uses this illustration too. You don't see boys sneaking out behind the church after church with a bag of broccoli. Hey, psst. You can't tempt boys with broccoli. You can't tempt adults with broccoli. But, you know, the truth is you can't, you can't be tempted by something you don't want. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. See, once you're discontent about something, you become a target for temptation because you want something else. And if God, listen, if God is good enough for you and God is doing enough for you, then you don't need something more. You have to accept and buy into that. And it's like the principle, and I keep bringing it up, but it's true. In James 1, right after that, James basically gave the principle, God is good and his gifts are good enough for me. I don't need something in addition to that. You, know, you can go to Numbers and see how many times the children of Israel murmured. And they said things, if only life was e were easier in the wilderness. I mean, if only we had water in the wilderness, if only we had something other than manna, if only we had more say, as we heard a few weeks ago, if only we were back in Egypt. You know what? They got to the point where they even said, if only we were dead. I mean, in Exodus 20, uh, or Numbers, would to God, we had died in the wilderness, they said. Our brethren got off easy. You know, the ones that aren't around, at least they're dead. I mean, can you just think about how twisted their thinking got? That's where discontentment led them. And all of those statements were discontent statements. God isn't doing enough for me. God isn't enough for me. And I need something more. Listen, if anybody should be stable and joyful and peaceful people, it should be us because we have truth. We have, we have access to know everything about God that he wants us to know about him. We have access to knowledge. That truth is what stabilizes us. And if we don't accept those truths, that begins our process of spiritual disintegration, just like in Romans chapter 1. Our unbelief becomes discontent, and it just snowballs from there. And when we reject what's true about God, that's when we become discontent. We need to say, Lord, show me tonight. Show me where I'm discontent. Show me where there's this gap that says, if I don't have that, then I, I can't be fulfilled. Uh, you know, I, I mean, if you've got something, I should have that possession or that blessing or that thing by now. So-and-so should have done this for me by now. And they didn't. I don't like that this is happening right now. Those statements in your life that are, that are feeding your discontentment are taking you down a spiritual disintegrating path. And listen, some things are legitimate. What do you do with those? I mean, sure, if your kids are rebelling, I don't like that. I don't like that. 
I don't like that my spiritual life isn't great right now. There are things in your life that may be real that you don't like. I'm not saying that those are wrong. No, take those to the Lord. Let the truths that you know about God drive you to him. He's loving and he's forgiving and he all, he's always present. He's always listening to our prayers. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Legitimate con- concerns should be turned into prayer. But we surrender the results to God's will. But that's what happens with those things. But with areas of discontentment, you need to begin a list of your tendencies. You need to start writing it out every time you think, if only. You need to start listing it out every time you think, I should be or I should have that. You need to start listing it out every time you think, I don't like this. Those are the precancer cells in your soul. You know, you know what I mean by that. There's precancer cells and there's full-blown. You know, those, those precancer cells, if you will, those are what lead to the full-blown problems. Those are the roots that lead to the fruit. The fruit. And so what, what are those cells, the, the precursors, the thoughts that have a hole in your, in your mind right now, in your life. It's a spirit of unthankfulness that's rooted in unbelief that will soon become discontentment and it will be your spiritual downfall. When we lived in Oklahoma, we had some property and we had poison ivy all over. And <clears throat> I'm, I'm very allergic to it. I found out one day when, when uh, we were clearing out some brush at the church actually because that's what you do when you're on staff you never know what the day looks like show up and pastor's like this brush needs to be cleared out so it was in the winter time so everything's dormant there's not leaves and everything so I go back there and I find an area I'm trying to clear out and I'm trying to pull this vine out of the ground so I grab the vine and I wrap it around my arm real tight and I'm pulling and pulling and trying to get it out well, about 20 minutes later, my arm started buzzing. And, and I looked down and I literally have like red, a red line around my arm where I had wrapped that vine and had allergic reaction to it. So, and it was the worst case of poison ivy I'd ever had. It was all over both arms. And, uh, you know, just, it was great. So, God's good enough for me. I had to tell myself that over and over. No, but, but I got to the point where I, I got it enough that I had to start, I, didn't, I had to recognize the plant. It's like, I've got to be aware of what this thing looks like. And so there's a little phrase, if you know about poison ivy, leaves of three, let it be. Leaves of three, let it be. I taught it to my kids. You know, three, leaves of three, let it be. Stay away from it. If it's got these three leaves that look about like that, then it's poison ivy. You don't want any part of that. And I'm telling you, I would go to great lengths to avoid poison ivy. Because I knew what it would do to me if I came in contact with it. If I saw that plant, it triggered a response. Get away. You know, something similar needs to happen in our lives spiritually when you hear the phrase, if only. Get away from it. If you hear the phrase, I should have, in your brain, leaves the three, let it be. If you hear the phrase, I don't like, 
get away from it. Because it means that there's something lying below the surface. There are roots of unbelief which have produced ingratitude and will soon be full-blown discontentment. And that should trigger a response in you knowing what happens when somebody's unthankful, for instance, in Romans 1. Knowing where that could take you, stay away from it. When you see the fruit of guilt and anxiety and anger and despair and impatience and annoyance, those noisy things, the same thing should happen. You need to recognize the presence of some root that's leading to that fruit. Roots of unbelief and roots of discontentment and roots of unthankfulness. It always reveals itself in bitter fruit. So what is the fruit in your life pointing to? Is it pointing to unbelief? Take inventory because the most experienced Christians among us are at risk for unbelief. You know, listen, if it happened to Moses, I mean, you're talking about a man with faith I could never touch. And, I mean, he led God's people out of, out of Egypt through the wilderness for 40 years. And in a moment of unbelief, it cost him entrance into the promised land. If it can happen to him, it can happen to the most experienced among us. If it can happen to the disciples who'd been with Jesus and seen him do miraculous things. If it can happen to them on a boat in the middle of the storm. Who are you to think that you will never be tempted with unbelief? You are just as prone and we, listen, and I'm not exempt and you're not exempt. I just need some small sliver of a difference between what's true and what I accept to be true about God. And if that's presence, if there's any space at all, then I better come to him in humility and confess my sin and embrace the truth that will serve to remind me that God is enough. Always. No matter how hard, no matter how uh, difficult, no matter how much pressure, no matter how much guilt, no no matter how much anxiety, no matter how much anger, no matter how much annoyance, you have to remind yourself, God is enough. Only that can help me deal with the problem of discontentment. And we need, in this culture, in this day and age... With a generation watching us, we need to be content in the truth that God is enough for us. So what, what phrases in your mind point to some level of discontentment? Are there if onlys? Are there I shoulds? Or are there I don't likes? Take an inventory and why don't you leave those with the Lord tonight based on the truth you've heard. Let's stand together. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.